1: Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. I always start the podcast by noting that we talk about oil here on Drilling Deep, and because you need to drill for oil to get it, and that's where we got its name. But then I also talk about our guest of the week, which usually has something to do with logistics. Not this week. This week, it's all oil. Specifically, we're going to be speaking to John Hours. He has been following oil product markets for a long time. I've known John for many years. His company, RBN Energy, just came out with a new report on the future of fuels, and that means diesel, among other things. He'll be by in a few minutes. One of the big news stories in fuels in the past few weeks was the announcement that oil giant BP was going to acquire truck stop giant, Travel Centers of America. I was shocked at this at first because oil companies have been getting out of the retail business, not plunging in. Yes, they do have stations that carry their brand name, but those stations aren't owned by the oil companies. They fly the banner of an Exxon or Chevron under a contractual agreement with the owner, which might be an individual, or it might be a small company or even a larger company that owns lots of stations. But if I was a little bit more up to speed on what BP has said is its long-term strategy, then maybe I wouldn't have been so shocked. But the reality is that one of the five pillars of BP's growth that they've laid out is something called convenience. So you can see where TA would fit in with that. Not only that, but there are pillars that have to do with the energy transition. And that means different types of transport fuels, like battery vehicles, or maybe someday fueling hydrogen, fueling trucks with hydrogen. Owning one of the biggest truck stops chains in America could obviously contribute to meeting that goal. But on a personal note, I'm going to miss the quarterly earnings report of TA. I liked it because they put a figure in there on gross fuel margins. It was a figure in cents per gallon, and it showed how much money TA was making on the sale of a gallon of fuel. Now, they did not break it down between diesel and gasoline, but TA did break out its sales figures on each of the two products, and it was always around 88 to 89% diesel. But that meant that the gross fuel margin was always going to be mostly a diesel margin. I'm not sure when the BP acquisition of TA is going to close, which means that the fourth quarter report that just came out might be the last one or the next to last one if they get the deal closed quickly. But what this one showed, what this last report showed, is that for the last few quarters, and the fourth quarter in particular, selling diesel has been a really good business. Note that for big convenience stores and truck stops, selling fuel was always sort of a necessary evil, to get drivers to come into the stores and buy other things, or in the case of big truck stops, utilize other services. But during the craziness of the pandemic, when oil prices went up and down with tremendous volatility, it means that retail prices' normal relationships to wholesale prices were way out of whack. It may look suspicious if you're a driver and uh, filling up at the pump that retailers kept their prices high for as long as they could when overall futures and wholesale numbers were falling. But that doesn't explain why TA reporting gross fuel margins of more than $0.29 cents in the quarter is so far above where it traditionally has been in recent years pre-pandemic, which is more like either side of $0.15. Cents. If all they had to do was hang on to high prices when the market was falling, those margins could have approached $0.30 cents in many other quarters, but they didn't. Let's also point out that I have no reason to believe that TA is an outlier. It, it, its experience is is probably the same as pretty much everybody else. So what happened in the fourth quarter that fuel margins were so high? The simple answer is that retailers were slow to chase down the falling price of wholesale diesel, which in turn was coming down hard on the back of declines in the futures market. But more than that, retailers just do not have a business plan that calls upon them changing fuel prices up or down all that rapidly. It is just not in their DNA to drop a price 10 cents in a day if the wholesale number declined that much, especially if in a volatile market, it might pop right back up by another 10 cents a day later. And to drive home the point that this was not just a TA thing, let's look at the fuels.usa data series from Sonar. It is a simple spread between the average daily retail diesel price and the average daily wholesale diesel price. This is a chart that goes back five years. As you can see, for several years, that spread was reasonably steady at about $1.10 per gallon, though at the start of the pandemic, it did rise as retail prices did not fall as fast as the broader oil market, which is rapid retreat. It then held reasonably steady through 2021 before going berserk in 2022, as you can see. We had huge periods of the markets going way up and then going down and then up and then down, and retailers were just not set up to change their prices that fast. The end result is that they made a lot of money on fuels in the fourth quarter, even though their business plan mostly is to make money in the convenience store, not at the pump. Things will get back to normal and probably already have started. The fuels.usa data series has been on the decline as we return to some form of normalcy. Unfortunately, we're not going to get the specificity that we had every quarter in the TA earnings. I'm going to miss that. Time to move on, but actually today we're going to stay on message. Uh, We talked about oil, of course, to kick off the show, and now we're going to continue to talk about oil. Specifically, we're going to talk about refined products. You know, there are lots of oil and gas reports out there, but I was very happy to receive an email recently from RBN Energy, where I know several people who work there, former colleagues, and I was glad to see that the advisory firm has has created a new fuels report for the year. And the man at the head of that effort is somebody I've known for many years. He is John Hours, long recognized as one of the leading experts on the structure of particularly product markets, crude as well. Um, And he, for many years, was with the firm of Turner Mason & Company. Right now, he's over at RBN and as a managing director. And, John, first of all, welcome to Drilling Deep. And, two, I think you're pretty much in charge of this project, weren't you? Yeah,
0: myself. Uh, I also have... uh uh, a key uh, assistant, my son, Robert, who's a very experienced chemical engineer and has a m- market and financial background as well in, uh, in the refining industry, and in, uh, the two of us really put this report together uh, with assistance from the RBN energy team. Um, and uh, RBN, is, as you mentioned, you know, it's a, it's a well-known firm. Many of the people listening probably get the blogs, <laughs> the, the uh, rock music-centered blogs that, that we do on a regular basis. RBN has, has, in the past been focused on, uh, on the upstream, the midstream, the natural gas sector, uh, crude oil as well. And recently, uh, last year, myself and, and Robert moved over and started uh, uh, the downstream uh, segment of the business. And we have a sort of a separate, but it, it's it, it's uh, it's within RBN Energy, refined fuels analytics firm. And uh, I've been doing uh, in previous uh, work, I've been doing uh, industry forecasts for over 15 years now. And this is uh, our first version uh, under the refined fuels analytics uh, umbrella called uh, Future Fuels. And we just issued it last week. So it's really fresh off the press. We were updating it to the last moment. As we know, the market's very volatile. And uh, and, and as uh, many people know that read the blog, you know, RBN is really focused on market analytics. This report is meant to be uh, a really deep dive into uh, the ref- liquid fuels markets, we call it future fuels because we include not just petroleum derived fuels. Obviously, that's the biggest portion of it. We're also looking uh, at biofuels and as new alternatives become um, relevant, we're going to continue uh, to do that. This report is going to be a twice a year effort uh, to update the market because the market is constantly changing. So, uh, yeah, again, thanks for mentioning that. And, and um, you know, uh, we can get into some of the highlights of the report as we move through
1: our, our uh, talk here. Well, let's take this from the perspective of a truck driver. A truck driver knows that the price of diesel went up. Of course, it's come back down. It's down uh, all but about 19 cents, 18, 19 cents from the gains post-Russian invasion of Ukraine. But there is another thing that they have seen and continue to see, and that is that spread between gasoline and diesel. They don't need big fancy charts and big databases to know that diesel used to be sort of X cents above gasoline, and now it's X plus a lot more than it used to be and 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 we hear this all the time why why i know i have my theories i'd like to hear yours and did you take this up in the report
0: yeah we obviously addressed that you know it's a very detailed report we have a price forecast that's probably more detailed than anything that's out there you know covering you know all the regions both within the u.s multiple regions and then globally and then all the different product groups even subgroups and including intermediates and and all the different uh uh, commodities that are uh, traded in in the marketplace and, and uh, around the globe, uh, the move for d- the diesel premium versus gasoline has actually been something that's been happening over uh, years. The last two years have, have particularly uh, accentuated this uh, m- more demand for the diesel side, less demand on the gasoline side, and a lot of it is related to demand. You know, gasoline uh, has been more impacted by uh, Alternatives, uh, you know, certainly ethanol uh, at, at, at first, and 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 then now as EVs become more predominant and as they're going to continue to grow and eat into gasoline demand, they're going to they're going to uh, uh, make gasoline demand going forward less of a growth product. Even though we still have it growing globally, it's it's we've seen it, we believe it's peaked in the U.S. in that uh, when it plateaued in that 2017 and 2019 period. We actually are more bullish on gasoline demand than many others. Uh, we don't have it going down precipitously in the U.S., but it will it Will have peaked and will start going down. We have kind of plateauing at this 9 million barrel day level over the next three or four years and then slowly declining. Uh, a, a, a diesel, on the other hand, is much uh, – and I and when I talk about diesel, you got to lump jet fuel in there because they really come out of the same pot. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, it's a lot – it's impossible to electrify planes, and it will be for a long, long time, if ever. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, same same goes for diesel. You know, obviously, there's a lot of talk of, of electric trucks. That's not going to be a major competitor for petroleum diesel for a while. Uh, on the biofuel side, uh, you know, renewable diesel is growing, but but it, it's it's certainly not going to reach the levels of uh, penetration in the pool that uh, ethanol has on the, on the gasoline side. So uh, there's that demand factor. Uh, The other part of the demand factor is uh, uh, we have, uh, you know, growing economies throughout the world. Diesel is the key component the middle districts in general are the key component to service growing and developing economies. So we have significant uh, diesel demand long term. Um, You know, we have. Uh, diesel demand growing globally by 5 million barrels a day over the next 20 years. And uh, jet fuel demand growing by even, uh, even more 6 million barrels a day. So that's 11 million barrels a day. Most of that, very little, of that's going to be, uh, that's liquid. That's a liquid part of it. So some of that is biofuels, but, but it's not uh, RD and, and SAF are going to be a relative minor, minor portion of that growth. Now, in the short term, what we've seen in the last year years has been a perfect storm. We had, uh, you know, w- w- when the COVID uh, lockdowns came into play, Significant refining capacity was shut down over three million barrels a day. Our number three point four million globally, one point uh, four in North America. Uh, there were some additions too, so net capacity, uh, you know, kind of stayed flat. But essentially, lost capacity gains uh, for three years, and and then demand came back strongly uh, during the 20 to 22 period. We're back up to above 2019 levels globally. Uh, we're equal to our, uh, to those levels in the U.S. Uh, we didn't have the refining capacity to be able to meet that that rising demand. So that was a big factor. Then the Russian war took place. Uh, you know, Russia is the number two exporter of products in the world. A lot of it's diesel. Uh, we were down about 900,000 barrels a day of total exports out of Russia, probably four or 500,000 that was diesel. Uh, recently, uh, in, in advance of the February 5th uh, sanctions, Russian exports did grow back. Uh, but now they're going to start declining again uh, post uh, February fifth, and we actually have, you know, if we look out one or two years, uh, net Russian diesel on the market uh, versus twenty nineteen or versus uh, uh, versus twenty twenty two pre war levels, uh, down probably around six hundred seven hundred thousand barrels a day, and on top of that, you know, we we always forget about IMO. You know, we always you know, p- prior to, to 2020, I, I right?
1: don't forget about IMO. Yeah, well, IMO <laughs> I was going to ask you. Make, so.
0: making a big impact now. You know, it's it it was delayed because of uh, what happened with the COVID lockdowns, but uh, we estimate that about seven hundred thousand barrels a day of additional diesel is uh, being an, as necessary in the bunker fuel market now versus uh, prior to, I, to IMO. So that's a big number. Um, and I'll throw a third one out there that uh, is China. You know, China actually could have uh, serviced some of that uh, diesel shortage. They were running their refinery slack in uh, over the last couple, three years, about 70 percent. But due to CCP policy, they limited exports. And actually, uh, diesel exports out of China were down by about 150 to 200,000 barrels a day uh, from 2019 during uh, 2022. So, uh, and then you have fuel switching. There's, there's, there's several factors. You have, you know, during the high natural because of the high natural gas price again influenced by the Russia Ukraine war, uh, we probably had between one and four hundred thousand barrels a day of diesel being uh, used for power generation uh, because it was cheaper than the use of natural gas, especially in Europe. So, perfect storm. So what are your, a, a Huge margin. What are for your
1: forecasts though, for that 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 spread between diesel and crude or diesel and gasoline? I know that. Uh, I was looking at the latest report for a couple of months ago from Energy Aspects, which is a well-known consulting firm, and you know they, they their forecast on the spread was that it was going to hold pretty consistently high. Do you have any Do you have any forecast on that spread? Do you see it softening at all this year, or maybe getting even even wider? I mean, I've tried to make the point to the Freightways audience, you know, or drivers and and fuel buyers that you do pay that cost. I mean, if diesel traditionally is let's say twenty cents over gasoline, and it, you know, in the, in the futures market, it rises to 50. I'm just pulling numbers out of thin air. But, you know, you're going to pay that difference. Where do you see that spread going this year?
0: Well, you know, let, let's talk about the crude spread first. I mean, I, I always look at uh, separate margins. But, uh, uh, you know, right now, diesel margins uh, versus crude. Let's talk about that part first. You know, they've come down. They've actually come up a little bit over the last week or two. But they had come down, uh, you know, as, uh, uh, you know, we had a warmer winter. There were weather impacts. You know, the increased Russian exports prior to February 5th, just a lot of factors had that margin coming, had that margin coming down. It's bounced back a little. But we have overall diesel margins coming down this year uh, and next year uh, due to slower economic activity. And a big piece will be the increased uh, the significant amount of refining capacity that will be coming online and is coming online right now, uh, really uh, over the next 12 to 15 months. And uh, and one of the so so we have margins for diesel uh, versus crude now coming down to maybe 20, uh, eight, 15 to 20 dollars a barrel from the 30 dollar barrel levels they are now. Uh, so and we, we think they're going to stay in those levels. Now, long term, I said I'm bullish on diesel demand. We think uh, the diesel uh, margins versus crude will stay well above historical uh, levels uh, for the foreseeable future our outlook goes out to uh, 2045 actually and uh, even during that whole period we have um, diesel margins versus crude again U- u.s light crude on the gulf coast uh 20 to 30 dollars a barrel consistently not the levels we saw last year or two but significantly above uh you know 2019 and before levels uh versus gasoline uh it'll continue to uh, uh s- maintain significant premiums versus gasoline uh, we have gasoline demand again stagnating and declining in the U.S. and developed economies, growing to some by some levels in, in, the, in globally, but but not by a lot. So it's uh, n- not the levels we saw uh, last year, but but uh, su- sustained premiums versus gasoline for the long term. And refiners, uh, refining we're, we're existing refiners over time, even the new fires are being added are diesel centric, but that's not enough to compensate for the. Uh, differentials in demand between gasoline and diesel so existing refiners will continue to have to invest in moving their slate more to more towards diesel versus gasoline by by adding hydrocracking hide- capacity uh, more shutdowns of cat crackers more gas oil going to those hydrocrackers hide- turning out middle distillates as opposed to turning out gasoline
1: right now Exxon Mobil has new capacity coming on in Beaumont i can't remember is that crude distillation capacity or is that primarily refined product capacity to make diesel
0: well, it's two hundred and fifty thousand barrels a day of capacity. They're in startup mode right now. They uh, it's a big project, so it'll that startup mode will continue for the next couple of months. They're probably not gonna be up to full rates that they say till at least the end of this month, maybe, maybe even into April and even maybe into May. That is crude capacity. They're actually gonna be displacing, they were buying uh gas oil. Uh to feed their uh, cat crackers. Now they're going to be supplying that internally. And it's really, the project is at Beaumont, but it's really a, a Gulf coast project because they're going to be some, um, uh, they're going to leverage their Bay, Baytown and Baton Rouge facilities as well. Uh, so it won't be that much total incremental product, but but it will be more product. Uh, it, it does produce more diesel than gasoline, uh, but but it's, uh, it's, it, it is tuned to running light crude. I mean, it basically is going to be uh, uh, running the, the Permian light barrels that uh, Exxon is producing uh, in their upstream uh, group. Uh, so they wanted to have a, uh, a a secure home for that increased production. Chevron's actually increasing their capacity at the Pas- Pasadena facility, which they bought from Petrobas, and that its main purpose was to run that those barrels from West Texas. That capacity increased only about about fifteen thousand barrels a day next year, and. Uh, and we actually have a net increase in production and then primarily diesel focused at the Valero facility when they add their uh Coker um, uh, this year and actually in the next couple three months. So there are some capacity additions in the US but at the end of the year we're going to have a shutdown of uh Lyondell um uh, at, you know the 290,000 barrel a day refinery at Houston uh and we're going to have uh, the the Phillips Rodeo facility fully shut down in 2024 converted fully to renewable diesel production. So some makeup uh, in, in volume from uh, the, renewed, new, new, the diesel they're going to produce there.
1: All right, so let's talk about renewable diesel, because as you mentioned, Rodeo is a full integrated refinery. It's going to close, but what's going to come in its place uh, is a facility that will produce renewable diesel. Renewable diesel, just to recap for our audience, is not like biodiesel that you blend into existing diesel, it is a fully finished product. You can pour it into your truck tank, and it will run the truck just fine. Um, might even run it better. You, might, some people might say, in terms of wear and tear on the engine. Uh, the renewable diesel figures that are being added throughout the country are pretty impressive, John. Um, but they're not compensating for the loss of refining capacity. Uh, if, if if you lose a if you lose a two hundred fifty thousand barrel a day refinery, there aren't any renewable diesel facilities that are going to be built that are going to compensate for if you assume let's say a third. Of a 250k refinery is, I'll say, around 80,000 80, barrels a day. These new renewable diesel facilities are not eighty thousand barrels a day; they are much smaller than that. So the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But I think it's mostly more taketh away. Wouldn't you agree?
0: No, absolutely. Uh, just to put uh, numbers on it, uh, you know, uh, back in uh, twenty twenty, we had about fifty thousand barrels a day of renewable diesel capacity uh, in the U.S. Uh, we'll have four, over 400,000 barrels a day of renewable diesel capacity by 2025. When some, when some of these other projects come up, uh, we're at—I uh, think the numbers are about two. We're at uh, two hundred, uh, just about 200,000 barrels a day now, uh, and uh, and so anyway, that's a big increase. Uh, but uh, again, you know, a lot of that came. There's some greenfield facilities there, but a lot of it came from uh, conversions like. Uh, Rodeo and the marathon facility in the Bay Area as well, uh, which will we'll be starting up uh, next year. or Actually, later the marathon starts up this year, I think. And so uh, there's a lot of um, renewable diesel coming online. Uh, but one of the things is, you know, renew. I'll, I'll say I'll talk about renewable diesel a little bit. We're we're a, uh, we were a net importer of renewable diesel until uh, last year. We're now pretty even. But we're actually we're actually adding more capacity than there is demand for renewable diesel in the U.S. So we're going to move to become an exporter of renewable diesel this year, and be, uh, become a bigger exporter as we move into 24 and 25 as some of that capacity comes online. Um, you know, SAF can also be produced at the same facilities, and, and as incentives for SAF grow, there's going to be more of that. In the short term, we're we're going to be an importer of SAF because we just had that new blender tax credit that came that dollar seventy five uh, blender tax credit came online for uh, uh, for for renewable uh, for a SAF and so we'll be an importer for the next two years but then we're going to switch to be an exporter of that material as well so we're not only going to be exporting uh, petroleum products but also uh, biofuels as we move uh, forward uh, and and it makes sense because we're uh, uh, we're advantaged in a lot of those areas. Uh, you know, both on the petroleum side and the biofuel side. So, um, uh, but one thing I'll mention you, you, on, on renewable diesel, it even as we increase uh, renewable diesel in a market, it actually adds to the cost of diesel. It's a more expensive product. Uh, you, you, you don't, by adding uh, renewable diesel uh, production, usually when you add supply, you decrease prices. Well, we're adding more expensive supply, essentially mandated expensive supply, and it's not subsidized by the government. It's actually subsidized by consumers. The RFS program is is a, is a program that the government doesn't uh, doesn't pay for at all through to through, through their revenue, through their uh, um, input of dollars. It's paid for by the consumers in, in the cost to pump uh, through uh, through RINs. You know, RINs basically are passed through to the consumers, and they subsidize these higher cost barrels in the uh, transportation fuel markets. So the more renewable diesel. Mandates you put in place actually the higher the cost of uh, diesel at the pump.
1: Let's do a couple of definitions. SAF is Sustainable Aviation Sustainable Fuel, Sustainable
0: Aviation Fuel. Sorry, I didn't. Define right, that.
1: and RFS would be the Renewable Fuel Standard, which requires a certain amount of renewable fuels to be consumed. Well, I just want to go to one point because we're actually we're, this went pretty fast. We're run out of time. You know, you say we have excess demand. We have we don't have adequate demand for all the renewable diesel that's out there, and we'd export it. I mean, it would seem to me that given the credits and the advantages. That renewable diesel has in the U.S. That that would be kind of like one of the first barrels consumed, um, unless maybe the the credits are so good in California that that's where it needs to get consumed and it kind of runs out of runway there. I'm I'm just surprised that that's that renewable diesel barrels aren't like one of the first barrels consumed.
0: Well, it's extremely expensive. Uh, the subsidy, the effect of subsidy on renewable diesel is very high, and even California is realizing that. So more and more uh, LS, LCFS credits in California are being generated uh, by, uh, by electricity and biomethane and other uh, parts because the renewables are a lot more expensive uh, in, in, to generate those LCFS credits. So it's becoming a less attractive way of meeting LCFS standards in California. Uh, so yeah, there's still some growth in demand, but it won't be uh, like it has been. And so And and, and it's one reason why we don't see more capacity being added in the U.S. post-25 or 6, because uh, the demand for renewable diesel will flatline. Because, again, it's a very expensive uh, product, and there's there's better ways of meeting these low carbon fuel standards uh, and uh, and the RFS standards than through renewable diesel production. Uh, I mean, that's
1: interesting, because I think the kind of a general consensus or general idea was that... Renewable diesel supplies were going to were so advantaged in the tax system, or in particular state systems like California, that the supply was just going to go on up for a long time to come. But you're you're seeing it kind of petering out then.
0: Petering out because of the demand side. You know it's just too expensive. Uh, you know feedstocks. Ultimately, the incremental feedstock is a, is an imported soybean oil, uh, which is very expensive. And so producing, you know, if, if we didn't have these mandates, there would be no renewable diesel produced. It's purely a Purely a mandated uh, and policy uh, incentivized product, and uh, ultimately the policymakers uh, realize that there's other ways to meet these low carbon fuel goals uh, more, more less expensively and more efficiently through other means. Now, other uh, entities, Europe and you know, Canada, just started their LCFS program. British Columbia has one, you know. So some of these imports, uh, most of our exports, are going to move to those markets, to Canada and to uh, Europe. Um, because of the, the advantages that we have in producing renewables here versus them, but the demand in the U.S. is going to uh, be relatively stagnant uh, for those. Again, one reason why we're kind of bullish on the petroleum side of the business: we think petroleum uh, fuels uh, and, and, and middle distillers in particular are going to have to uh, uh, are going to be the major uh, source of meeting demand for those barrels, for those middle distillate diesel and, uh, and jet fuel uh, barrels.
1: Well, we have only touched on the surface, I'm sure, of what's in your fuels report uh, put out by RBM, but we do want to thank John Hours uh, for joining us today. John, any place they can go to see that report? I assume they probably have to buy it, but is there an excerpt on the RBN page?
0: Yeah, yeah, you, there's, uh, on the RBN page, you can go right to, uh, uh, the, the, report section and see the report. I'd be happy to talk to anybody about it. It's extremely detailed. Obviously, we can't cover anything anywhere near the, the, the uh, features of it in, on this call, but, uh, I think we are out of the mainstream on a few views, getting more bullish on, on petroleum side of the business. We have some, um, maybe outlying views, as, as you pointed out on the renewable diesel side, uh, where we're headed there, uh, and also on some of the other areas. So, um, again, I'd be happy to talk to anybody, provide more information and more details on, on our views on the markets.
1: Okay, John. John Hours again from RBN Energy. Thanks for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Thank you, John. You have been watching Drilling Deep, or you have been listening to Drilling Deep, one of the two. We are part of the FreightCast family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on FreightWaves TV. You can also find us on all the leading podcast platforms. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again.